0: Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, where we discuss practical science and not-so-common sense to live a life more extraordinary. On this episode, we talk about stress, breaking this vastly misunderstood villain down into four key categories that will help you better identify the ways it's affecting your health. We also discuss simple and effective ways to manage your stress better, as well as using wearables and clinical diagnostics to create more impactful change for not only you, but your relationships as well. So let's get started. Here are your co-hosts who are also partners in life and business, Luke and Rachel. So welcome back. We're into episode four of the Ted Life podcast, which I don't know how we got here so fast, but we did. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited to talk about this particular topic because I feel like with the conversations we have in clinic, it is just so recurring, this particular attribute of life. And I, I just, I want to be able to kind of pick away at a bit and really look at it for what it is and how you can either harness it or manage it. So what are we talking about today?
1: Talking about everybody's good old friend, stress.
0: Stress. Yeah. Even the word triggers me. I'm like, it makes me just just cinch up because that word stress is just so analogous with everyday life
1: yeah and it's it's unavoidable um in this day and age because we just have so many things coming at us from so many different angles and you really need to become a master at managing and hence why we're putting this in the front end of our podcast you know Mm. like you know sleep and stress are two key topics that we find ourselves continuously unpacking for people and you know really Um, helping people rethink their relationship with each of them um, Mm. because often they're misunderstood and vilified. vilified. So stress
0: is what we were talking about before is it's the fallacy of stress it's the vilification of what this thing called stress is and I know you like to use the word demonized which I think is a really nice way to explain how stress is often perceived. So tell us more about the, the demonization of stress.
1: Yeah, I guess everyone thinks, you know I, I, don't, I don't need more stress in my life, I've got enough stress and which is true, like I said, there's an abundant amount of stresses in our life, but without that stress, there's no growth and without that growth, it's death mm. <laughs> so you can either be wasting away, um, or you can be growing and evolving mm. and here with us, you know, we, we want to live a life by design and we want to live a long life, we don't want to live a short life, so I think people need to kind of reassess their relationship with stress and realize that these stress in a intentional way is exactly how you live a long, healthy life.
0: Because mm. I think the, some of the new research is suggesting that in the older years of your life, our, our natural inclination to our elders is stay indoors, don't go outside, don't do anything that would stress you. The garden's too much stress for you, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. But the reality is, is that's actually a precursor. So sitting inside doing nothing and not moving their body and not creating these small elements of stresses is actually killing these this generation because that's a part of a really healthy life and a healthy body and a healthy mind is challenging it in small ways, in different ways to actually help stimulate growth. Yeah,
1: it's the comfort crisis. Essentially, mm, yes. so we have our ACs on keeping us temperature regulated from the peak of summer right through to the peak of winter, and we don't ever really allow our bodies to feel the climate and be able to adapt and adjust to that. And because that adapting and adjusting is not happening, our bodies like it's just wasting away because it's not being challenged. And mm. if your body's not being challenged in healthy ways, Um, It will degrade.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's the same. You look at uh, weeds or other parts, other species or phyla in the kind of living world, and you notice that when you give a little bit of stress to a plant, um, whether it be uh, a little bit, not enough, quite enough water, and then you water it, it actually grows stronger, Mm -hmm. um, which is... Like bones too so bones oh, yeah yeah so if you're not doing resistance training or using the bones and giving that stress then the actual process of de- depositing more bone uh, in in the bone itself or you know calcium deposits aggregating it won't actually make the bone grow stronger
1: and same if you break that bone yes the bone regrows stronger hmm so it won't break there again
0: yeah that's true so what are the four categories of stress. So when we say stress generally, um, it's demonized. Um, we know that a little bit of stress is good. Too much mm. is not so good. But when we think about stress from a you know a, a categorization perspective, what are we looking at?
1: Yeah. So be- before we go there, I just want to take a step back and just look at um, the good stress versus the bad stress. So often, because We'll get into the, the categories of stress as we go through, but we've got to understand that there's good stress and bad stress. So as we're kind of referring here, you know, the and you know enough stress to kind of help you grow back stronger, but not enough stress that you know you're absolutely crashing to the ground and burnout. Um, so good stress is what we refer to as hormetic stress, um, or something that causes hormesis. Um, so that kind of challenging that growth uh, to be better. So it's about riding that fine line between. Burnout and performance. performance. Yeah. You know, so.
0: There's that line or that wave again. So yeah. we keep talking about like, how mm. do we ride that, that wave that's that sweet spot of life to get the most out of it without the detriment. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so it's understanding, you know, what is a hormetic stress um, or a good stress? And then what is the negative stress, that chronic stress? Generally speaking, by chronic, I mean long-term. So what are these things that are just chipping away at you and just drain your energy with nothing in return? Mm. So, um, and that, that's when we kind of dive into these categories and we can define each of the um, four kind of key categories of stress. So, We have, first and foremost, our mental and emotional stresses. So mental and emotional stresses, we're looking at that kind of perceived stress. So this is how most people view stress. Uh, most people have a very narrow perspective of what stress is and they think it's traditionally mental and emotional. So I like we have clients continuously, no I'm not stressed. Because they don't have that perceived stress, which is a great thing. It's and we'll get into that as we go a bit along, that we don't want to um
0: invalidate.
1: We, yeah, invalidate yeah. if we believe we got if we're stressed, we will be stressed. But if we don't believe we're stressed, that's a, also a good thing. Um but yes yeah, so, it Mental and emotional is during the perceived stress. That's that I don't have enough time for myself. I am working too much. I'm not I, like I'm anxious, irritable. Mm. Um, that's the kind of mental and emotional stress. Would
0: well, that include at this point in time things like relationship stress? So it's perceived, but it's actual stress in the fact that if you've got something else going on in your life, like a child is sick or, mm. um, you know, maybe there's been a bout of layoffs at work, like that is that is not just perceived it's an actual stressor yeah. mentally and emotionally
1: yeah so yeah that kind of it kind of crosses over between that and lifestyle stressors. okay um, because yeah and that's one thing you'll notice that it just there's no as with anything in the human body it's not a switch it's fluid right so there's kind of balancing of both so yeah that leads us into our next one which is lifestyle or physical kind of stresses so that's um, you know not getting enough sleep that is drinking too much alcohol that is you um, you know, exercising too much or too little Um, because obviously good stress, bad stress, you know, Mm. you can overdo things. And then into our third one, we're looking at metabolism stresses. So this is nutritional kind of stresses, stresses of the gut. Uh, Perhaps you're eating something that your body doesn't agree with. Like for example, if you're eating gluten and your body doesn't agree with gluten um, or dairy or any kind of food, it could be peanuts or whatever it is for you as an individual. Um, Or having things like highly processed food, or vegetable oils, Um, these are all things we will discuss in future episodes as we... high
0: inflammation, that creates stress. Exactly.
1: So all very toxic for us, um, and we want to make sure we're managing that. So that's kind of the metabolism stresses. Or you could have something like a parasite um, that is taking away all your nutrients. Um, So there's a whole host of things that can happen in the metabolism stresses. And then we're going to a fourth one, which is environmental stresses. So this is your EMF, so electromagnetic fields. um, That's coming from our phones or technology in general. Uh, This is going into radiation, um, pollution, pollution. Um, if you have any um, metals, like for metal fillings, um, that can obviously be leaking into you. Um, So, yeah, there's a a whole host of different things. So these encapsulate the kind of four key categories of stress. So mental and emotional, lifestyle and kind of physical stresses, um, metabolism and environmental. Mm. So I like to divide into those categories because regardless of where the stress is coming from, it all responds in the same way. And that is stacking on top of each other because mm. they play on the same system, which is the HPA axis, so the hypothalamus pituitary axis. Um, and it just causes that dysregulation mm. of that system. And that is where we kind of talked about in the previous uh, episode about um, sleep, which was cortisol and melatonin it can throw that axis off. So it's that same kind of axis that we need to manage.
0: Because we talked about it like an orchestra, yeah. So you know you've got you've got a sort of master conductor of the body that is responsible for letting everything play the way they're supposed to to create this harmony together as a, as an orchestra. And so you're sort of saying that the the four categories and the way that they all interplay will all have different impacts to the way the orchestra, orchestra is playing. So if the violinist is nailed because something's going wrong with the stress there, they can't do their work. Then it sets the whole music. Yep. It's either a different different song or it sounds off, um, yep. but either way, that's the orchestra.
1: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just about making sure that you're not being narrow in your focus and just focusing on that classic perceived stress, that mental and emotional stress, mm. and realizing that you may, have, you may perceive your stress to be low, which is great, but if you have metabolism stresses, you have lifestyle stresses, you have environmental stresses, these are all compounding. And they can have the same results as if you had the mental and emotional stresses.
0: Yeah, this is where we often bring in either diagnostics to check or HRV. So heart rate variability is what we talked about in the last episode, which is usually there's an average of it, but it's the, the, the time between heartbeats and how that over time changes. So your, your body in a, in a really calm state We'll have quite a lot of variability between heartbeats because I like to call it like it's your heart's being playful because it's feeling joy. It's light. It's being able to adjust to the day to day kind of, um, your activities or what's going on. Whereas when the heart rate variability is low, it means your body's trying to really tighten the and, and shorten the gaps between, um, the beats or at least make them very consistent, like a metronome because your body's in survival state. It has to control what it controls. And so when we talk about stress, It's so fascinating around perceived versus actual versus even just we talk about plugging your brain back into your body because while we've got some clients who they just like I'm not that stressed but I've got all these other issues and it's not until you plug their brains back into their body and maybe either use diagnostics or the HRV metric that they realize actually there's something else going on that they're not perceiving but their bodily symptoms are trying to scream at them something's amiss. Yep. On the other spectrum, we've got people who are so overstimulated with mental stress that they're they've got huge nervous system dysfunction. Because at the end of the day, stress is interrelated strongly with nervous system function. So so how do you define stress in, in the nervous system? Like what what are the two real categories of the nervous system and how stress changes, yep. how it functions?
1: Yeah, so what we're talking about here is that autonomic nervous system, and then we've got two arms of that. So we have the sympathetic arm, which is that fight or flight. So you've definitely heard about this before. This is when you want to run away from a lion or, you know, you want to fight that lion. (laughs) Um, And that's obviously evolutionarily ingrained into us. So when we're in a stressful state, that's the kind of where we want to go. It's
0: the suvi- survival mode. It's the survival mode. Or the
1: upregulation mode. Yeah, upregulation yep. mode. And that's when you're talking about heart rate variability, that's talking about um, having them a lot closer together. So you don't have... a
0: low HIV. You that. have a low HIV, yeah.
1: Low HIV, yeah. Um, where on the parasympathetic side, so this is the rest and digest. So where we're in a calm, relaxed state. So we can digest our food, we can you know, practice mindfulness, we can just be present um, where we're not distracted by the past and the future, which is often associated with the sympa, sympathetic nervous yeah. system.
0: Cause so you, we're can, just you can think clearly, can
1: think clearly, logically, yeah. um, and you're not caught up in these vicious cycles uh, that can often come into the catastrophizing of being in a survival mm-hmm. mode.
0: And we're highly oversimplifying this. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for the sake of things, we could go into more detail around this, but those are the, the that's kind of the simplification of the nervous system and how it responds.
1: Yeah, and I, again, the key thing that it's, when it's often spoken about and simplified in this manner, people often think it's like a switch. Like I mentioned before, nothing in the human body is a switch. It's very fluid. So it's a slow transition and it can be a fast transition, um, and both systems will always be working, right? Um, but it's about the percentage of where you're at. So it's just about balancing that out. And what we'll get to towards the end is the tools in which we can quickly navigate this system to either stimulate it or down-regulate it um, so we can get the best outcomes of what we need to achieve. For example, if you're going up to present or you have an important meeting with your boss and you're noticing these anxieties or that sympathetic system kicking in, we can give these tools and strategies to don't regulate that. Keep yourself calm and collected so you can present in the best fashion.
0: One thing I want to cover here is the perceived stress versus actual and how powerful that can be. So your, your body is really a pool or a broth of chemicals. So it's it's really not, it's a hyper complicated system, but from a baseline function, how it does its thing, it's just basically a whole bunch of chemicals interrelating inter or interacting in some way. Um, and so what's fascinating about stressed, perceived and how your body feels it is biochemically, so the base chemical functioning of your brain and your body, it does not know the difference between having an actual threat to life. So being hunted by a tiger or you're in the ocean and there's a shark that you see. So your body reacts to that in a way that the biochemicals flood into your body. It's in heightened space. It's stress responses, you know, obviously in that that sympathetic place. And the biochemistry reflects that versus say you're in your office building, you're at work, you've got a big... Big um, meeting coming up, or perhaps you've just had some news that means a particular deal is threatened, and your your body will release the same chemicals. Mm. And so, in that artificial world where there's no imminent threat to life, versus uh, in the kind of real world of being actual threat to life, biochemically there is zero difference, and your body has no clue of the context. It just knows that it's in a state of fight flight. Stress, it's ready to go.
1: yep and then it's not just that one time as well, because in twenty first century living, we're continually in and out of that, and for mm. a lot, for many people, just in it, um, they don't know how to break out of it. So, you know, all these little because these stresses can cascade, right? Like when we know if we um, have a fight with our spouse and then go to work, we're going to go to work and everything is going to be highly triggering. Because we're going to see that everything in a negative space because it just creates this cascade. Um, so, as soon as we ent- ent- enter into that state of mind, it's hard to break out of if you don't have the tools and strategies to regulate your nervous system.
0: Mm. And it's really a bit of a crocodile. So, we talk mm-hmm. about the crocodile brain. Lots of people talk about that, which is your basic fundamental functioning of the body and how it reacts just as a part of a non thinking state. And so. When you get into that non-thinking crocodile brain response, trying to implement those tools, having tools to pull from in your toolkit is critical Mm. because we're often not taught any of this Mm. growing up. And we just, we're in this place of total reaction where we're not taught to observe, we're not taught to create a gap between stimulus and response. And so we end up often acting out in a real um, thoughtless way, which is what exacerbates you know, fights with your spouse, um, when you, you know, misbehave or you react badly to a situation at work, uh, whether you're short with your kids, because again, you, we haven't created space between the trigger and the response um, to help you use those higher centers of your brain to actually implement the tools to calm down the crocodile brain, which is just responding.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think you nailed that on the head, like you just need to be an observer, right? Mm take that step back, observe, but without, like you said, without the tools, you can't do it.
0: Yeah. What I would love to talk about are some of the examples of our, some of our clients. Uh, One in particular was regarding, you know, he he was experiencing a whole bunch of symptoms, which seemed disparate and unrelated. Um, And this was our client who had the issue with heavy metals. So did you want to talk about more about what he was experiencing?
1: Yeah, so one of our executive clients that um, goes through our executive program doing clinical diagnostics and, you know, full battery of testing had a lot of issues with um, stress but not really aware of the kind of stress that he was under um, and found himself craving in the afternoons um, of sugar in particular or just any way to kind of get this quick dopamine kick. Um, So, yeah, just... Just craving dopamine essentially, whether it was through food or whether it was through other other means. And yeah, it wasn't until we got his diagnostics sorta that it kind of made a bit more sense. Because everything in his life, you know, was pretty pretty good. Like, you know, it was in a good place. Um couldn't see too many kind of stresses in his life. But it wasn't until we saw that toxins that came through. So we weren't even we weren't even expecting to see these toxins. So when we did the clinical diagnostics, we do a full battery of testing and we add these in as just a just
0: in case mm. um just unless a, there's symptomology yeah. in this particular case i think general fatigue and malaise yeah. was his sort of yeah, main sorry. area yeah. of concern
1: yeah so obviously yeah I, I mentioned the kind of dopamine kicks but yeah the the biggest thing was energy levels were just tanking um just doesn't didn't have any get up and go anymore mm. just lost all his kind of you know passion for life i guess
0: can you articulate on dopamine
1: kick because i'm not sure yeah. everyone knows what that is Yeah, so dopamine, uh, neurotransmitter, kind of feel-good hormone, it's the kind of motivation hormone, it's motivation of more, it helps you seek more and more, Uh, the issue with 21st century is we're continually craving the wrong things, because technologies are designed in a way to activate that system.
0: Yeah, and release more dopamine. Yeah,
1: and then it's... You, what, once you hit this threshold, you're gonna keep searching and searching for that threshold. And the hard thing is with you know social media is with uh, food, it triggers the system at such a high amount that you just can't attain that um, through normal means. So therefore, if you start your way your day like that, you're just continually trying to go higher and higher, and it creates these vicious cycles. Um, you're hunting for more and never feeling fulfilled. Yeah, it's kind of like why people get overweight is because they, they cannot hit that point of um, satisfaction anymore because that dopamine kick they got from the first uh, pie or m- McDonald's or whatever it may be, you know, mm. that high that they got from that initially was just so good. They keep searching for that high and mm-hmm. they have to keep going more and more and more. This
0: deserves that. an entire episode. Yeah, the, yeah. Holy cow, I think the more people understand this dopamine threshold, yeah. I think that's changed the conversation totally with our kids for one because, well, I'm not going to get into it, but but just the aha moments from what you're stacking on in the day and how that impacts your entire remaining of the day where you seek out food, you seek out alcohol, you seek out sex, Mm. you seek out attention, whatever it might be, why it's just getting progressively worse. So at least thank you for explaining dopamine generally. So this particular client, he was in this kind of dopamine kick Cascade hmm. also had general malaise, general fatigue, didn't know what was wrong. Yep, I percent yep.
1: And yeah, so we, we did the full battery of testing as we do with our executives and like I said, it was, you know, it's an it was a plus to it, you know. We weren't expecting to see too much. Like we were trying to understand what was going on from we we definitely thought there's biochemical things, but I wasn't actually expecting to see too much in that space. But yeah, glad we did the testing because we saw everything from mycotoxins, so mold, um, like quite severely, like um, very severe response to mold. Uh, we had lead and mercury poisoning um, to the highest levels I've seen, um, and then we had a number of um, environmental toxins. So there was like uh, petroleum, petroleum kind of yeah. like things. There was a there's a numerous amount of them, uh, kind of plastics as well. Um, but essentially across the board. Uh, lot of environmental toxins mm. uh, so
0: which blew our mind when yeah. we first got it back i mean he does eat a lot of fish salmon other yeah, bits and pieces, yeah. like that right as yeah. well which again doesn't always help but mm. yeah when we saw those results we were just like wow so glad we we ticked mm. that box yeah
1: so and it just kind of highlights the importance of you know when if you have the capacity to do the testing because it can really highlight some very um, helpful information that you just won't know regardless Mm. Uh, because, you know, his symptoms weren't screaming any of those things because it was it's so broad. Uh, There's, you know, it's just general delays and lack of energy. And
0: And the interesting part, like you mentioned two episodes ago, is that you don't understand how bad you're living Mm. until you see what optimum feels like. Mm. And it's that slow... It's that scope creep. It's the health creep. Yeah. One year, you know, you're down a bit further from your, from your health and how good you feel. You keep kind of, go, kind of going down and then you completely forget what optimal life mm. feels like, what, yeah. what pain free, what, you know, clarity of mind feels like. And so that health creep is real. And so. Mm. That the process that we've now undergone is a slow, it's a slow releasing of those toxins because you don't want to do that fast. Mm. Um, that started to help lift some of his symptomology, but this is a six to 12 month journey, if oh, not a little absolute. bit more. Yeah,
1: real health is low health, you know, yeah. and in particular when you're mobilizing um, toxins like these, you got to make sure that you really chelate it properly mm. and get it out of that system in a safe manner. So, uh, yeah it's, it's not a quick journey to unravel all that but you know he's already seeing so much um, benefits and just energy levels and clarity of mind as brain fog's lifted mm. uh, so yeah it's it's pivotal once you understand that and often people forget about these environmental toxins because you know we for the most part people don't know how to assess them what well, uh, they're invisible yeah invisible yeah if we saw all the frequencies in the air right now we're blown away.
0: Yeah, between Wi-Fi, between yeah. all of the EMFs, yeah. between just general radio signals. Yeah,
1: I, b- I believe the number is we see 0.04% of the f- light spectrum. The total... Total spe- light spectrum, yeah. 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 So, you know, we're not seeing the near-infrared, the infrared... Yeah. You know,
0: <laughs> it's even looking at pesticides. So, you know, yeah. you know, I have a background in, in, mm. in chromatography, mm. which is a means to analyze complex mixtures. I cannot wait until somehow I find a big machine to put in our garage yeah. and I will be processing all of our food like a subsample of all our food just to see what pesticides there are <laughs> so I, I swear like that makes me so excited just thinking about that because the reality is is if we could see what we're actually eating from these different places whether they be uh, alleged organic or from the store yeah. when you actually see what kind of pesticides you're eating despite washing them I think we would be absolutely mortified
1: 100% like glyphosate is just prevalent and
0: mm. uh, in
1: particular, uh, in America, like they use glyphosate a lot. Hence, one of the reasons why soy is not good for us because it is just covered in glyphosate. Mm. Uh, so, like ninety six percent of you know soy is just toxic because that's, that's what crazy. we we all get is from the US, generally speaking. All the processed soy, and um, you know, then there's all the phytoestrogens and that, and yeah, it's it's toxic.
0: God, you just um, think about all the stress categories, right? Yeah. Holy cow! No yeah. wonder we're struggling with health. As a, as a, as a problem globally. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So let's move to another client. So this is another executive. So he's a CEO of a very successful business uh, on our executive program as well. So even before we started doing any diagnostics tests, which includes things like genetics, um, organic acids, like what you're peeing out, looks at, Gut health, so taking stool collections, looking at thyroid and cardiovascular health, um, hormones as well, sometimes toxins or you know, toxic exposure and a variety of other tests. But but even before we started with the clinical diagnostics, I swear he is wound up like a knot. His nervous system, it's it's hard because, for example, like I mentioned in in my episode, when you're that wound up. Your, your bodily systems aren't working. So your, your stomach's not working, mo- the, the motility of your intestines aren't working, you've got a lot of backup, you've got a lot of gas, you've got a, a lot of dysregulation or dysbiosis of your, your gut health and the gut the gut microbiota. And
1: that, uh, that's because we're in that sympathetic state, right? That butterflies. Yeah. everything's going out to the peripheral, helping you
0: run. Yes. Doesn't care about digestion. Yeah. Do so. not even think about digestion if you're running away from a tiger. <laughs> yeah. And so... Because he's tied up like a pretzel, he wants to work on his nutrition, but until we can help him unwind his nervous system, trying to get him to to eat enough and eat enough of the right things is really a secondary effort. Mm -hmm. Um, In this case, he is very aware that he is stressed, but I don't think he realizes how much of what's going on in his head is affecting his body, and his body is screaming at him in, in the in the symptomology of gut health slash digestion slash anxiety attacks. Um, but it's now reconnecting him so he can understand it.
1: And I think a big part of that has been wearables as well, right? So you can see it live and we can actually reach out to him and say like, You know, you want to talk about when you've kind of reached out?
0: Yeah. So through our executive program, we all have them wearing aura rings. So we have a master dashboard that we look at every day to see how all of our executives are tracking so we can get a feel for their real live data, how is their week going and what can we do to either intervene or provide some executive care package or um, intervention that can help support their process. And so one thing I've been noticing is not only when when he's doing really, really well, like over the holidays, he implemented a var- variety of our techniques. And you can see his HIV slowly starting to, to rise, his heart rate slowly starting to fall. And overall, you can see him improving. But Conversely, we can see when he's tanking too. So uh, in the situations in which we see a huge and quick drop of his HRV and his just his heart rate's gone through the roof, we get in touch and say, hey, you know, is everything is everything going okay? Uh, and we learn more and help him provide that more precision care about what's happening. Uh, and so that's been powerful for him to understand there is a quantified way to measure his stress. And then equally, there is a quantified way to show that his stress management techniques are actually working long-term.
1: Yeah, and just to kind of recap that for those that don't quite understand heart rate variability and resting heart rate. So, simply speaking, we want a low resting heart rate and we want a high heart rate variability. The further the distance between that, the better our autonomic nervous system is. So, we're in a... Healthier response, where we're a, we're a bit more sympathetic and we can manage that nervous system a lot better. But oh, parasympathetic. Parasympathetic, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Mix my words there. Uh, thank you for catching me on that. Um, so we really want
0: that space there. Um, and so, that's a good balance between the sympathetic hmm. and the parasympathetic, where there's an appropriate response to the environment. Yep.
1: Um, and you can quickly start to see what is good and what is bad. So obviously, you're talking about there was the adverse responses, um, which we don't
0: want. Yeah. And either way, having that quantified information can help kind of shake up the snow globe for the client, but also us and saying, actually, there does need to be some type of intervention. I do need to pull something from the toolkit to be able to help support my body to return to a more balanced autonomic nervous system state. Yeah. Yeah. But that's been really powerful. I mean, we talked about plugging the three brains back in, I think, in the last episode. Uh, but That's why we love using both real-time wearables as well as the the clinical diagnostics, so we can actually let these people understand what's going on in their bodily functions uh, and start to implement the type of tools and techniques to right the ship, so to speak, um, and get them sailing on a better trajectory for a longer-term health of vi- you know, vibrancy, but also to start seeing them think more clearly, be able to have the energy to lead their teams in a really honorable and gracious way, to have their energy left over for their family. Because oftentimes these people, whether it be executives or others on the program, have family that they want to be able to have enough energy to connect with. And so, you know, speaking about these two particular, um, subsets of our, of our clients, you can kind of say between those two, that's a classic. Classic journey that we're on is again getting them to understand what's going on, stress, and then helping them create different ways to approach the stress so they can actually calm it down to a more growth growth state of stress rather than a reactive and erosive state of stress.
1: Yeah, so essentially what we call it is bioliteracy, right? So having the understanding of your body um, and mm-hmm. how it functions. So, you know, using wearables and clinical diagnostics to help people reconnect those three brains as you talked about to. Because we're so disconnected with our bodies, mm. it's unbelievable when clients come to me, just how far they are disconnected from their bodies. Like they they can't even identify, you know, where a pain is in their body, let alone identify that their gut is dysfunctional. Or uh, because we're just so used to focusing on these external stresses that we forget about, you know, our system and how our system functions. And so, yeah, a big part of what we do at Tailored is reconnecting people, or reconnecting those three mm-hmm. brains. Um,
0: what do we mean by three brains? I realize we've been mentioning it. Did you want me to explain yeah, what that yeah, means? Yeah. Okay, so what is not a well-known fact is that there are collections of ganglia or thinking cells, not only in the brain, clearly that's where a lot of that, that thinking happens, but also uh, near the heart or very close to the heart, and then in the gut. So there's collections of those thinking cells in the gut, hence the gut instinct, in the heart. Where, what does your heart say? You know the whole. You know when people say, "What does your heart really say?" And then then your brain. And so there, there's so much cool research into how these lessons are learned by these three brains and how they talk to each other to give you kind of that that higher cognitive thinking. The heartfelt thinking and then the gut thinking, Mm. which it's just cool to live in this day and age to see that we're actually starting to understand that more and how important gut instinct actually is to listen to equally how quickly these things think Mm. or how it comes to conclusions so much faster sometimes. So your gut might actually acquiesce a more greater understanding of situation and context much faster than the cognitive brain. And so there's this really cool stuff that it's just like if you can plug yourself back into these places then you can trust not only your your intuition, you can trust what your heart says, but you can make more genuine and authentic decisions for yourself and what erodes your boundaries or are within your, your personal boundaries to live a life more by design and with more vibrancy. Yeah, and I think the key thing there is
1: not looking at them as separate, right? Correct. It's It's like connecting the three mm. brains so and understanding that they all work together. Like, for example, uh, in the gut, 90% of your serotonin sits in your gut, which is known as a neurotransmitter, neuro meaning brain. Um, so, you know, that was quite a fascinating discovery. It was a little while, maybe 10 years or so ago now that I identified that. Um, but, yeah, 90% of one of your key neurotransmitters, serotonin, is made is made yeah in your gut, or at least stored in your gut, uh, made and stored in your gut. So... Yeah, like... Hello! <laughs> it's more than in your brain. So yeah. like that, that states it all right there. And so
0: this is the interesting part around gut health. We hear that time and time again, but gut health is so critically um, associated with mental health mm. because of that fact is that serotonin is the feel-good chemical. Mm. It's the, the happiness chemical Um that's largely oversimplifying. But at the end of the day, that is the thing that makes you feel calm and in control and in content. And so if you've got something going wrong with your gut, and also it impacts motility of your gut, then everything screeches to a halt and you have issues with mental health, anxiety, depression, uh, and then again, bloating, a lot of gut issues around that too.
1: Yeah, and I would just about 90% of the time, I would say anyone with any mental health issues, so anxiety, depression, generally speaking, terrible gut health.
0: mm Yep. So
1: fix you've got to fix the gut first. Yep. And I think too many people, you know, they'll, like, go on medication and, again, they're, they're masking the symptoms. They're not actually treating the root cause. Mm. So, like, yes, understand if you need to go on the medication to kind of get by, but just make sure you're treating the cause. Um, yeah.
0: And oftentimes it's a raw material problem, whether it's you're missing some key component of a biochemical pathway that can create serotonin, or there are um bacteria and viruses in your gut that are making it hard for you to actually create that or creating inflammation which impacts the ability mm-hmm. to produce and convert to serotonin. So so that's been that's been a big powerful thing that we do with the with in the clinic is try to reconnect the three brains. But what's also fascinating is what we call the tailored chicken. So it's literally getting people to understand where are they feeling the discomfort? Where are they feeling emotions? And you know we we bought a book for our children which is um we when we saw it we we're like this nails what we're doing at the clinic which was literally it was a book about what color are my emotions and uh you know I, we would read that to our our son and daughter and it helped them understand okay where in my body am I feeling this emotion what color is it is it does it change color is it one color is it prickly? Is it smooth? Does it feel hard to grab? Does it feel hard to identify? Is it moving or is it staying over time? And so just getting people to check in with themselves and their body and feel into what they're feeling. Acknowledge that it's there gently um, and there's a thing called invite Mara to tea, but it's like, invite that in and say, okay, hi, hi emotion. I see you. I feel you in my, in my heart right now. It's moving up towards my throat. It feels blue in my heart and green in my throat. Uh, it seems to be pulsing and it's giving me this feeling of compression and constriction. And that's all you need to do is just acknowledge that the emotions there. What do you recognize it as? Hmm. I recognize I'm upset. I had this conversation with my boss. I feel like I'm not heard and that's where it hurts. I feel like I'm not heard. And so you start to kind of see commonalities, okay, my heart, in my heart, my voice is not being heard. My throat is part of the voice place, right, where you feel your your voice is um, presented to the world and being listened to. And you start to think, okay, that's what I recognize when I'm not feeling heard and I'm feeling my voice is not not in a place where it's received or making impact. And so when you start to understand those feelings, the colors, the location, what you name it, you can be far better at explaining that to your spouse or your partner or your friends or your family. And that is so critical in understanding where the stress is coming from too.
1: Or to throw it in another way, which um, you can look at food reactions as well. So for example, uh, if I have gluten, because uh, I, I personally Gluten and dairy do not work for me, um, and I've been gluten-free, dairy-free for about a decade now, and once I learned, and, and obviously my brain fog lifted and all that, I think we kind of discussed it in the first episode, but for example, if I have gluten, I will notice bloating, gas, and just uh, this tension that's just really uncomfortable, and just an inflammation in my body. Mm. Um But then it's different to if I have dairy, where dairy, I will find myself really sinusy, closing up of the throat. Um, So you can, like, much the same as, you know, feeling emotions, you can also do that with food and other areas of, like, training movement is really important as well. Like, you know, really focusing on the muscles you're trying to activate. There is a neural connection, so the more you can focus and even getting somebody to touch the area that you're trying to activate, uh, is extremely powerful for turning those muscles on. Um, so just trying to understand that it's not just emotions, it's observing everything. And the more we can be connected to our body, the better we can respond. Mm.
0: And also on the conversation of stress is around personal boundaries because oftentimes we create our own stress because we're not willing to protect things that otherwise erode our values or the things that we care about in our life. Did you want to talk about boundaries and how that works?
1: Yeah, I think boundaries will definitely be an episode in, it, in itself. That's true, like, yes. I think that's such a big topic that we'll definitely need to unpack over an episode. But yeah, like I think with boundaries, it's just so critical to, to know your values and who you are and um, what you're trying to achieve and what is the boundary creep. So understanding when somebody does this, I, I love when somebody does this. This is pushing my boundary. I, I do not accept that, and you need to not accept that. Um, so, for those that you, your loved ones in your life, these you know you need to tell them what your boundaries are, and have these clear discussions around. Um, I love when you do this, but when you do this, it's it's creeping my boundary, and um, and knowing why, and knowing why, yeah, yeah. and just yeah, saying because everyone's an individual, and they're all going to have different reasons around why this is. And generally, they have very valid reasons for why that is because they've been hurt that way in the past and, you know, it triggers that response. So by preempting these conversations, it makes you in just such a better place for the future Mm -hmm. Um, because once the boundary is crept, you have a clear course of action because, you know, oh, sorry, I I shouldn't have done that. Um, I understand this triggers
0: you. And you can, again, just be that
1: observer and And communicate. communicate. Because if
0: you don't understand it yourself, how are you possibly able to communicate that to your loved ones? Yeah. 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 Another, um, so are we ready to get into some of the tools to help with stress? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So one thing that, uh, we do a lot is, is what we call catching the fireflies. And we do this within our own lives too, where, um, we call it catching the fireflies, but effectively it helps to get onto paper, all the things that are crunching your brain to sawdust. It may not even be crunching your brain to sawdust. It might just be, these thoughts or these things that are bothering you just sort of flit in and then flit out. Mm. And the idea of catching the fireflies is to start to pull them from this sort of ethereal place of the mind and get them down to paper. And we'll put up on the screen, if you're watching uh, our actual video feed. Or on the show notes. Yeah, on the show notes, uh, an example of where to find an, what, what the catching fireflies exercise looks like. But that has been actually a profoundly powerful way that our executives have been able to find calm in a space of absolute mania and chaos, is to get some of those fireflies down on paper, get a feel for their their hats that they wear, their roles, responsibilities, and the things that are bothering, bothering them or taking up their mind share. And that in itself, just seeing it put down rather than, again, crunching their brain to sawdust, takes a lot of the stress away.
1: And it's not just executives, it's us. We, us. we, we do that frequently. Yeah. Um, so when we start to feel a point of overwhelm, we're like, okay, let's catch the fireflies. And often it'll be the other one helping. Like if mm. say you're struggling, I'll be helping you through the fireflies um, or vice versa. And it can
0: change the entire conversation. Yeah. Like I remember we were at a, a party for the weekend and I was just so overwhelmed with all the things that I have to do. And I sat on the end of the bed and I was, I was, just overwhelmed with emotion around what I actually had to do and I was trying to find my a place of calm and I was looking out under the trees I was I was t- tearing up and I was crying but not in a sobbing way but I was just trying to navigate my breathing which we'll get to very shortly I was trying to find a place of calm and to think clearly but at that point in time, you said to me, which was so beautiful, is, Rach, let's go catch fireflies. We'll go to a cafe down the road. I'll help you sit down and catch these fireflies. We'll work through what are the things that are the big rocks. I'll figure out where I can take some of the, the weight for you so we can share the load. And the the response after that was night and day.
1: Oh, absolutely night and day. <laughs>
0: yeah. So I came from this place of just absolute overwhelm to a place of calm, open heart, feeling a sense of relief mm. and having a shared understanding that this load isn't mine to carry alone
1: and an amazing weekend after that because we were obviously on a weekend with our friends to relax and i think that's what was getting you is because you had so much work to do um, but yet you're being you know forced into a place to relax it, it can be qu- quite overwhelming and this isn't you're not alone in that fact i think everyone any kind of a type that just wants to get stuff done Gets frustrated by being slowed down, mm. uh, but it's important because, as we'll kind of talk about, is and we, as we have talked about in previous podcasts, you can't have performance without recovery.
0: Uh, it's about that that line, the balance. Yeah, yeah, and I, that'll be another, I think, episode because actually telling yourself it's okay to rest and recharge. Is a whole new conversation, which creates stress in itself. Because that's a different, it's an interesting stress response is when, you know, you think, gosh, if I take a break here, I still have to catch up on Mm. so much work. But the catching the fireflies helps to give context to how important certain things are. So we do the three D's, do, defer or delegate. Mm. And so, okay, this leads us into the tools of helping to navigate stress as well. So we've talked about catching the fireflies. What other techniques, tools, or simple things can we do to help calm that nervous system or manage stress?
1: Yeah, so before catching the fireflies, I would generally apply more physiological um, management to kind of really downregulate the system. So you can be in a calmer place to do it as well.
0: Yeah, because I suppose I was already thinking yeah. about the breathing yeah, before okay. we even caught the fireflies in that exactly. circumstance.
1: So we've already ingrained those things, right? So the breath is a, one of the powerful connections to the autonomic nervous system. So there's a number of different breath techniques. And it's about finding what works for you, right? But the key thing is understanding that the breath can innovate the nervous system to achieve whatever state you're trying to achieve. What does innovate mean? So innovate, activate. Um, So it can be going to that fight or flight state if you really want to. You can do that. That's easily done. Um, Or you can go to the rest and restoration um, so that... Uh, parasympathetic which is for most people that's generally where they need to go because they spend too much of that sympathetic zone but either or you can go both ways you know so for when i'm trying to be more uh, performance orientated i'll go into that sympathetic state because i want to achieve that performance whether it is physical performance or mental performance that is really powerful but for most parts of what we're going to be really focusing today is how to down regulate the nervous system how do we bring that back to that parasympathetic so simply put the inhale is an energizing breath. Exhale is a down-regulating breath. So, if you can do anything, is doing a longer exhale to the inhale, because that's naturally going to down-regulate your system. Because oftentimes, if we're if we're having an anxiety attack, for example, which is a stress response, we're in a sympathetic space. Where we can't get our breath um, because we're our heart's pumping way too quick, um, and which. You know, respiration is just not working. Um, so we're try- trying to catch our breath. You're not going to be able to do a four, seven, eight breath, which I'm going to talk about soon. But just focus on taking long exhales to the inhale, and the more you can do that, the quicker that response will happen. Um, but if you have the capacity and um, you have the back, I, I guess, the lung capacity too, because the four, seven, eight can be quite challenging if you haven't really trained your breath. Um, you, What we want to do is we want to take a breath in for four. We want to hold for seven. And then we want to exhale for eight.
0: So let's take the listeners through this. Yep. Okay, ready? Yep. So what do we do first? Okay, you're going to count us out. Four, yeah, so, seven, so I'm going
1: to count you into it? You're
0: literally, we're going to do this right now. So you're so, going to do it though,
1: so I can count for
0: you. You can count for me yeah. and I'll do it. Okay. And then, so if you're listening along, which obviously you are, um, let's do this together. Okay. Okay.
1: So we're going to go for a breath in for four. Three, two, One and then hold for seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, and then exhale for eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, and then you'd go through that cycle. And depending how much you need, you can obviously go as many cycles as you need. Uh, It's quite powerful from a down regulation standpoint for going to sleep as well, Um, because again, anything that innovates that parasympathetic, that rest and digest, obviously, it's in the word rest. Um, it's going to be really powerful for helping you get to sleep. So these are strategies that I'm, we're going to be discussing here that will also help you for sleep too.
0: And four um, seven eight 8 or any derivation ratio. of that, yeah. that ratio can be done anywhere. Yeah. Uh, this is going to sound really, really bad and particularly horrible if someone's just gone number two in the bathroom, but oftentimes the executives are just so busy that it's either trying to get them to do something like this in the car or when they, every time they go to the toilet, because we all well we should all be going to the toilet several times in a day if we're drinking enough water and so it gives them that natural place of stopping and trying to reset the system
1: yep yeah so finding those moments is just so critical and there's a number of breath techniques I can go into and there's you know the physiological side which is the double inhale to the exhale which we can go into yep <laughs> and then so that's um, Get a really powerful diet regulating that system as well. But I think there's another critical thing that we need to talk about, and that is understanding how you're breathing. Mm. So when we're mouth breathing, we're very much in that sympathetic state because we're not, it's not how we're designed. We're designed to breathe through our nose. We have six filtration systems through our um, nasal system. But when we're breathing through our mouth, we're just taking in a whole bunch of toxins. And again, you're taking too much oxygen and you're not really balancing it out. Uh, so we want to be making sure we're really breathing through that nose uh, all the time so it's not so important when we're doing the breath techniques as such it it can help but if you have any nasal constriction that can be quite challenging so obviously do what you can do you do have nasal constriction that is something we do need to improve and it's something we will discuss in future episodes Um, but making sure and generally speaking you're breathing through your nose so keep your mouth shut. Um.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how hard it is for people to do this. Oh. So there's a there's an, a great book that I know you love. What uh, is it called?
1: Breathe by James Nestor.
0: Yeah. And I think that changed, like opened your eyes to a whole <laughs> new world of just physiological support around getting your, your body in a place of calm to maximize the oxygen and, and other other element um, concentration into your blood, into your lungs. Uh, And I just think we totally underestimate what actually happens when you breathe through your nose.
1: Yeah, so it's been linked to anxiety, depression, obesity, um, sleep apnea, Uh, so all these kind of really critical things. Cardiovascular disease is another key one as well. like toxic (laughs) yeah if
0: you're a mouth breather
1: those are the very real consequences very real consequences and in the book is it's quite good james nester and one other they actually blocked their nose for i think it was a month and just seeing all their data just like sleep acne like snoring and you know extremely toxic put on weight and um Mm -hmm. yeah very unhealthy so it's something we need to be considering and again it's one of those things that just happens day in day out um and ways in which we can train it there is a number of ways obviously it's being aware of it first and foremost uh removing any kind of nasal constriction as i said we'll probably go into more of this in future episodes
0: because if you've got a Um, lot of inflammation and sinus issues it's it's hard to breathe through your nose exactly which is a issue in itself that we need to correct so you can start to do nasal breathing
1: yeah so there's breathing which we can teach to kind of help Uh, clear the sinuses out but there's also if needed you might need to look at uh, getting uh, the kind of balloon surgery where they kind of balloon it out and open up those nasal cavities again there's a whole host of different ways in which you can open that up but you need to do that if you do mouth breathe you need to uh, fix that you need to be breathing through your nose so that is of the utmost importance you need to take the time to Read this book first and foremost if you're struggling to kind of find the solutions. But we will talk about this in future episodes. Mm -hmm. And if you are struggling with it, do reach out and we can help out. But But a
0: fast way of doing that is to tape your mouth up, particularly at night, because you know you very quickly find out if you can't breathe. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) that's a very fast way to assess. Okay, no, I can't be. I can't have this this tape on my mouth.
1: Yeah, so mouth taping is a really real thing, and we do it quite often. Um, And it's just a great way just to check that you are breathing through your nose and you don't need your mouth to breathe. Because that's real way of snoring, is if you're snoring, generally you're going to be a mouth breather. Mm. Um, so for those partners out there that have a snorer, good chance they're mouth breathing, mm, get them exactly. to take their mouths, yeah. and you'll be surprised about the impact of not only their emotions, but you'll better nice sleep because they're not snoring um, and potentially helping with weight management and all the other issues. Yeah. So. Yeah, simply taping your mouth at night is a really powerful way. But again, with the tape, it's not like getting a big poof-poof tape. And going, Duck oh, tape. You've oh, <laughs> <laughs> been kidnapped. Yeah, just get that uh, medical tape and you just need a little strip, just like that, uh, and there'll be enough to kind of Keep your lips mm. shut.
0: But what I definitely noticed is when I'm in a stressed state, I, I, I'm observing that I breathe through my mouth more. Mm. So I would say 80% of the time I'm pretty good these days mm. breathing out of my nose, but I definitely notice yeah. there's a, like you mentioned, you're kind of out of breath and you're trying to get oxygen in because mm. at that point your system's like, ah, I'm, you know, there's a, there's a tiger chasing me, but in this yeah. case it's They're a deadline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so that that's just observing it. Mm. Be, being an observer of that is powerful.
1: Yep, exactly, and you've come a long way since when we first met as well. Um, but yeah, so the breath is really important. So first of all, making sure you're breathing right. Uh, so breathing through the nose for the most part, you know that's the chronic thing you can really focus on. And then the techniques you can help to kind of regulate yourself. So we have the four, seven, eight. Then we have the longer exhale to the inhale. We have the physiological sigh, the double inhale to the exhale, and yeah. So those are kind of some key techniques you can kind of pull upon, and then. Another free technique, because again, we're focusing on free things that you know. You're just using your body to innovate uh, the right nervous system or activate the right nervous system is your visual system. So, which
0: blew my mind. So yeah. when you told me about this, it, mind blown. But it makes so much sense. Yeah.
1: So your eyes are pretty much part of your brain. They popped out, and they're the direct access to your brain because they are essentially part of your brain, right? So, if we can, you know, use them to innovate the system, there's so many ways in which we can, but you just need to think about when you've been in a fight or flight response. So if you're in an argument uh, with a spouse or a coworker or, you know, there's an argument going on, what happens?
0: Just looking at you.
1: Yeah. Tunnel tunnel vision. You're my
0: threat. Yeah. Yeah. So everything on the side disappears and it's just this tunnel vision. And Which is perfect if you are running away from something. Like, you want to yeah. focus on whatever that threat is, yep. and nothing else matters. Yeah,
1: exactly. If that's that line, you, you don't care about what else is around you. You just want to get away from that line. Mm. Um, and you, you may see red, you know, like oftentimes, you know, like just raging. Um, but there's a quick way we can disrupt that. Just engaging our peripheral system. So, opening up those eyes to look at the peripheral system. And so, how... If we look at this from an evolutionary standpoint, this is you've had the sensation before of that relaxing looking at peripherals, and that is when you're looking at vistas. So if you ever go to a place like the Grand Canyon, like a beautiful waterfall or a beach environment, the reason we feel relaxed and calm is because we're engaging our peripheral system.
0: You're drinking it all in. You're
1: drinking it all in, yeah. yeah. Um, where, obviously, the reverse of that is...
0: Yeah. So laser focus.
1: Laser focus, that narrow focus. So, the more we can engage that peripheral system, the more we'll calm that system down and say, you're okay. You're safe. You're safe. Um, because this is a safe environment. Mm. This is not.
0: Yeah. And so, just for those who are listening, yeah. um, you know, you just used your hands to shade that peripheral is you're safe, um, tunnel vision, you're not. And so, this is a perfect opportunity to say, if something badly goes on with a conversation or something stressful happens, taking that time out even to go outside into hopefully some type of sort of nature environment or a space, even if you're in a big metropolitan is just going for a bit of a walk, breathing through your nose and then trying to drink everything in will help your body start to calm down.
1: Yeah, And then the next thing on like that kind of leads into the next thing that I was going to suggest, which is nature mm. or forest bathing um, is it's more clinically known. And like this is actually prescribed in China. Like the doctors will prescribe forest bathing. <laughs> it just uh, sounds
0: so woo woo, but it absolutely, science is infallible. I can't wait
1: until Western medicine catches up to this. Like it is so, like the research is so clear and it's so important that people go and forest bathe, get into nature. So, what is forest bathing? So, forest bathing is just being in nature. And because of that, The reason we said is, you know, it's opening your peripheries. It's calming you down because there's a whole bunch of negative ions, um, which we've talked about in the previous episode. So shoes off, touching the earth. Well, your shoes don't necessarily need to be off, but there's going to be a lot of negative ions in the air, Mm. in nature anyway, because it's producing it, right? That's what trees do and nature does, and in particular, moving water. So if you can get around the ocean or waterfalls or even rain. I
0: just feel calm thinking about that.
1: Exactly, right? (laughs) Um, So just getting into nature is important. But if you can get shoes off, that even more. Profound impacts. Um, so, it depends on where you are and what you can do, but yeah, get your feet into the ground. We, as woo woo as it sounds, the earth is charged and that charges us with those negative ions. So, um,
0: we are effectively a battery. Like, oh, yeah. The matrix sort of had a good idea there. And when yeah. they are defining us being a little battery that's just full of ions and things that move, mm. we are just, again, a biochemical broth yeah. that is sentient. And so, to understand that we have a charge, a natural charge to our body that is in alignment with nature. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, don't get disconnected from nature. Get back to nature. Mm. So that is a very key thing is, you know, finding that space to kind of do that. And on top of that as well is the more sensory deprivation we can do and the closer we can get to nature, the better. Um, so really calming that system down by removing senses. So if you're going for a walk in nature, get your headphones out, you know, making sure you're present. Um, you're not listening to a podcast. You're not listening to anything else. You're just in nature. Um, Same thing with uh, sunglasses, you know, get those off. If you can get the natural light, that's going to help balance out the nervous system. And, you know, but then on the other side of that, we can actually find a space in nature or elsewhere where you can close those eyes and just really down-regulate yourself, come into a mindfulness practice. And I think mindfulness or meditation... You know, has that it, it, it's coming around a corner. I think a lot of people are starting to realize it's not as woo-woo as one thought. There's like <laughs> you just need to look at the literature to identify that it is profound, and everybody should be doing it um, because all it's doing is is disconnecting you from the past and the future and bring you into the present moment. That is the definition of mindfulness mm. uh, and it, observing. Yeah, it's not spiritual in any way. It can be spiritual, but for the most part, it is making you the observer of the present moment. So. You can think about the past as that kind of depression, the future as an anxiety. So it's disconnecting you from that depression and anxiety and bring you into that present moment because truly that's the only moment in which you can impact health or you in general. Right? So we want to bring, t- train that skill of accessing the present, accessing the present because as we've discussed right throughout this episode, stress is often distracting you from you. So it's about bringing more connected to you, becoming that observer of you. So you can innovate and activate the right system to bring you Bring yourself into the right state so you can think clearly um, and live a life by design, not a mm. life by um, default. default. Yeah.
0: And so it's interesting the number of people that, that we work with, they're usually quite progressed into a state of stress. Where they're, they've got monkey mind, you know, that, that, like, they either revolt from the idea of meditation, um, or they've tried and they just, they, they can't quiet the mind. Hmm. And so I think the fallacy of that is people think that they've got to get straight into a 10 minute meditation. Like that they're going to have to figure out how to sit still for that long when they're already so far in the monkey mind overthinking stress state. So what would you recommend to them in that situation?
1: Yeah. So on that, firstly, Starting small. Like, as, as we've already yeah. talked about. So, like, generally when i getting people into a meditation practice, it's one to two minutes, max. Like, if they've never meditated before, you're not doing any more than one to two minutes because as motivated as you are right now that motivation is going to dwindle because what we want to create is a habitual pattern so we want to be doing it day in day out and we build upon that pattern so. You
0: can even use the tailored check-in for that where all you're doing is just observing in your body where you're feeling and what color it is so that in itself is a meditative practice.
1: Yeah so like it's about finding what practice will work for them and for the most part it's hard to find like a guided meditation for that shorter time period so generally speaking what I'll get them to do is count 20 to 30 breaths which would generally be around at a two-minute mark.
0: Sitting, eyes closed, lying down.
1: Yeah, it's finding what works, really. Mm-hmm. So it's keeping the barriers, the entry as low as possible. Um, and if that is eyes open, for the most part it won't be because these people with busy minds, they haven't meditated, they'll need to have their eyes closed because they get distracted. Um, but generally, mm-hmm. eyes closed, sitting down or lying down um, and just focusing on where they feel that breath the most. So maybe that is the rising and falling of the stomach or the chest, or perhaps it's the air brushing past uh, the nose or going down the back of the throat. Um, it's just trying to tune into that body and really observe where you feel it the most and just focus on that, just for the 20 to 30 breaths and just counting them out. Mm. And yeah, then we build upon that. And then generally we'll go to more of a guided meditation for those with busy minds because they need to be taken on a journey which you know shuts down their monkey mind and Allows them to know what to focus on without having to think about what they need to focus on.
0: Mm. It's been interesting because uh, you've got your classic calm headspace apps, uh, which I've never really enjoyed uh, for some reason. Maybe I would now, but at the very beginning of my journey of meditation, those ones I just I disliked. Whether the voice annoyed me, whether the just didn't I didn't resonate with what they were talking about. But you introduced me to another app called Waking Up by Sam Harris, and for an intellectual that I am. He somehow uses intellect, completely snafu my brain, into meditation, mm. which I, I kind of at the end of a 10-minute meditation, I'm like, I'm like, how did he totally just finagle my mind in a place of absolute engagement mm. in that 10 minutes to actually feel like I've now meditated, meditated and in command of my life? It, it's magic. Mm. And so I, I cannot rave enough about some of his meditations around observe the observer. Yeah. Which again is the thing that snafuds my brain every single time, and I'm like, wow, yep. that that blew my socks off.
1: Yeah. So Sam Harris, for those that don't know, he kind of uh, teaches dualism as the type of um, dualism. Dualism. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's the kind of yeah becoming the observer of the observer essentially. So really looking at consciousness as a state and really getting you curious about that and what that means. And it's yeah, meditation for intellectuals. Yeah, I think it's good. Because it
0: engages yeah. the yeah. thinking part, but then, yeah. it, again, snafus the thinking part into yeah. meditating.
1: And thinking is okay as long as you're thinking on the, the one thing, right? And I think the other thing that often I find with the A-types or the high performers who are generally our clients, right, um, <laughs> they think they're not doing it right because they're thinking. Mm. Your mind is going to wander. It's like, a
0: monkey.
1: It's a monkey. And the act of doing mindfulness or meditation practices is realizing that. And the fact that they realize that their mind is wandering is great. Then it's just about bringing it back to task because you can start to see how learning how to do this in a controlled environment can really impact the rest of your life. Because if you can find your way back to the present, that is endlessly powerful. And that is exactly how we manage stress is understanding, huh, I'm stressed. I'm an observer. Um... And how do I get myself back to that state? How do I bring myself back to what I'm supposed to be focusing on? Because yeah, uh, like you, you will think, you will think about the most random things. You'd be like, oh, did the washing, or even like random thoughts pop in my head that I like mean nothing to me anymore. As like I don't know why that even pops into my head. The
0: thing I love about that is he accepts that and yeah. he walks you through it, and then says, actually focus on that thought. Yeah, and how quickly it's like. Poof. Yeah. It just disappears and you think, oh my gosh, where did it go? Mm-hmm. But again, it just comes and goes as it pleases. And as you mentioned, it's like the observing of that fluidity mm-hmm. of thought yep. and who's observing the thought and where is the observer? What does this look like? I, I just can't rave enough about that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's free to access, you know, yeah, I think For it has a seven month. month or a seven day free trial. Yeah. Hit us um, up
0: if you want a month access for free because we can send you a sharing link i think by default it's like seven days yeah i think so yeah yeah something
1: like that um these things always change but i think that's the case as it is as it stands but um yeah that's what and it's also you know there's app that works for us right Mm. but i've i've used endless amount of apps throughout my time and you know they each teach me different things and you know because obviously we're looking into more dualism right now because that's potentially where we're at in our journey, but maybe Headspace may be right for somebody right now, or Calm, because it's about finding a voice that you respond to, and that doesn't irritate you.
0: Um, (laughs) Something so simple, it's just like this voice drives me mental. That's not
1: usually a good sign, so try another one. Yeah, try another one, because there's endless opportunities out there. Um,
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I just get out there and try other ones. There's also neuroacoustic music. Yeah. So... All right. So this brings back to story time. So three years ago, when I was um, chief product officer, I was really trying to find ways to get better sleep or fi- find sleep or restorative time wherever I could because I was in such a heightened stressed response state. And so we explored um, a- an app called Newcomb and we, um, I paid to be a part of their beta program, mastermind, listeners, yeah. the mastermind. And, um, it was quite an expensive, investment but I was like whatever it takes for me to get sleep and their claim was that you could get two hours of restorative sleep in 20 minutes tell that to a busy executive and I can tell you right now I don't care how much money that cost that's valuable so we invested to be on this mastermind program and this neuroacoustic they use binaural music so that means that that they have um they look at the stereoscopic or stereo um auditory element of your ears. You've got two of them and they each took different parts of the brain so they use music in differential ways where it's maybe more on the left side or the right side or have movement of different sounds between the two to um, infer a type of brain massage is yeah. what, I, what I've what i often called and, it. And it's layered and there's so much depth to the music like the,
1: the file sizes are actually quite substantive for what they are. Yeah, um, And it's just yeah, the depth of stuff you just, you know, we don't Inherently understand the difference between that and then like more of a basic kind of binaural um, But the, yeah, what Newcomer have created is phenomenal because it, it really entrains these states mm. and Essentially that is linked up with a patch that you put on the pericardium 6. So this little spot over here just on your wrist Um and essentially, that accesses helps kind of access as a GABA printed patch, I should say. That helps you access that parasympathetic system.
0: Opens the door, doesn't yeah. it? I think we've decided this is the way that it mimics yeah. the natural kind of shift in bio-signaling mm. to then open the door in the brain to the parasympathetic system. Yeah, essentially.
1: Um, very simply put, that's kind of what happens, and um, yeah, it really helps you activate it, and what it's been shown to do is bring your respiration down into that parasympathetic state as well, so by listening to this music, it actually brings you into the parasympathetic state, so your breathing, your respiration will shift from a faster breath to a slower breath, so it's entraining this parasympathetic state, which has been extremely profound and powerful, not only for for us going to sleep because we both have the COMT gene, which we can kind of talk about, um, potentially, um, but also if we wake up during the night, and especially for you in the early days when we were retraining your circadian
0: rhythm when you were very dysregulated, it was profound. It was. I'm so grateful for the technology, and yeah. th- there's been a couple of times where I've had a client arrive at the facility that's not a telehealth you know, overseas conference call. And they've been so heightened that the session is just me setting them up with a biosignaling disc, newcomb on, on the, you know, with cushions, mm-hmm. closing the door. And then that's what they're doing for 45 minutes. Yeah.
1: And, and for us as well, we do daily naps with it, right? Like, so, we do. so we, have, part of our routine is we have a daily meditation with Sam Harris. So that's to bring ourselves into the present moment, regulate ourselves, because generally speaking, we're running around you know, f- focusing on performance up until that point. So we just go, go, go. And then we get to this point where we want to downregulate ourselves, bring ourselves into that parasympathetic state to restore ourselves so we can tackle in the afternoon. So we do a 10-minute Sam Harris, bring ourselves into the present, then we go to a 20-minute New Calm. So we're getting that two mm. hours of restorative sleep in the middle of the day. Um, but not after 3 p.m. because we don't want to dysregulate our circadian rhythm as we discussed in a previous episode. Um, and we have that 20 minutes where it may be a nap, or it may be just our eyes closed and we're just deeply present. Because as we talked about again in the previous episode, if your eyes closed, it's still restorative. Especially when you're getting this neural acoustic music through it as well. You know, they're stacking on top of that, um, and we found for us that's the perfect stack. So mm. we would generally do that during the day for a quick reset of the system, yep. um, and then we will yeah go to sleep with it because of the C O M T, Gene.
0: Gene. A variant. So yeah. there's a variant in our T gene, which makes it harder for us to break down thinking molecules. Essentially, yeah.
1: yeah. So long story short is where we think about the the small things, like our mind is just kind of just churning to sort us because of our genetic makeup, um, and it, it's just pointless things. You know, it's like, ah, oh, did I did I put the washing out, or you know, like things that you can absolutely wait until the next day, mm. and your mind just will keep running through these pointless, pointless things. Mm -hmm. And so we've found this is a really great way to shift that presence into giving us something to focus upon and down-regulate us.
0: Um, And then same thing again if we
1: wake up during the night.
0: And this is profound for also mood, so three years ago I had, when I was a gymnast, right towards the end um, and after I finished uh, my gymnastic career. I had sort of a, an issue with bulimia for a very short window until I kind of snapped out of it. What I, what the heck am I doing? Because I was suddenly um, no longer training. I was still eating the same kind of junk food that I was, and I gained a bunch of weight. And I was just like, Oh my god, what am I doing? And so I got to this point of just just um, binging and then purging. And so again, I snapped out of it, thankfully. But what was interesting is when we first started working together and when I was in that place again of, of uncoupling from my, my old marriage and trying to, to reset my body and and, and what was doing as I started to get a bout of bulimia again, mm. where I just want food and I'd want to binge, binge, binge and all of the comfort food I possibly mm. could. And what is beautiful was not only just snapping out of it again, realizing this is not the life I want to live for one, but also forcing myself, but having the, the uh, The ability to observe. Oh, I'm craving this. I just want to, you know, down down a bag of chips or or a bag of lollies or whatever mm. it is, just to give me comfort. I had enough gap between desire or or trigger and response where I was able to take myself to the bedroom and listen to either a Sam Harris type thing, but for me it was that um, loneliness the loneliness meditation, which I cannot. Yeah. And enough about loneliness meditation by um, Sonoma. If you want the link, I'll put it in the show notes. But for, for me in that moment, that was enough of a d- disruption and the language she used felt so real to me that it was able to to s- dislodge that, that whole trigger response. Mm. And after that meditation, I had no interest in, in binging. I was mm. like, actually, I'm, I'm in myself. I'm okay. Yeah. And Everything's it- going to be fine.
1: So that's what we kind of call these disruption points, right, and how you can be the observer just to help support that process because before you go for that meditation, there's no way you can observe that. Like you're just so caught up, you just know you need to do that because mm. you're noticing the sensations, the feelings of anxiety or depression, whatever it may be. Then the other way you do it as well is having a cup of
0: tea mm. um,
1: because, you know, like after my cup of tea, if I'm still hungry, I will then allow myself to have some food. Uh, But you, by like nine times out of ten, I I can't really think of a time that after that cup of tea that you'd actually still go for any food, let alone bad food. Mm, Um, You might go for something a bit more substantive, something that is actually nourishing. But I can't recall any times when you've gone for a tea and it's still gone Mm. for the sweets. So
0: yeah, I think Tony Robbins had this beautiful quote. I think it's Tony Robbins that basically said, uh, "Is this a real issue?" From a, an exterior, extrinsic perspective, or is it a biochemical issue? Mm. So, so a biochemical issue is there's something that's amiss in the chemistry. There's a raw material problem with the way your body functions, and if you can just give your body the thing that it needs to do what it's supposed to do to overcome the issue, then maybe that's the solution. Mm. Or is it a real thing that you can Im- manipulate or influence or or help to resolve? Um, because oftentimes it's more of the biochemical issue. Yeah. There's something that's not quite right going on in the brain, um, in, in your emotional or your nervous state. And I would say 90%, if not more, of the time, that is the problem rather than the actual, you know, any, any real problem or threat that you're involved with.
1: Yep. Yeah. And you can shift that both nutritionally, and just through understanding your physiology and actually shifting that physiology through, like the tools we've talked about, you know, mm. to taking the breathwork, going frost bathing, uh, doing the meditation, you know, having that break with a tea um, mm. or something similar.
0: Yeah, we've touched on metabolism stress mm-hmm. uh, just around for you. For example, it's gluten and dairy. There's a variety of of those outside of the free activity of just checking in around what's going on in your body how else can someone explore or investigate where a nutritional stress might be involved
1: yeah so there's a number of ways so yeah being an observer first and foremost right identifying as a uh, food disagreeing with you so when I first went on that journey I had so many everything I was seemed to be eating was triggering me and I couldn't put my finger on what it was. So for me, I went down the diagnostic route. And so, yeah, about 10 years ago, kind of started trying to explore what, what is going on. And what so, did
0: you do first? What diagnostic route
1: did you so do? So I think I did the IgG and IgA first. Um, and so what's one of those? So looking at your immunoglobulins. So uh, identifying the immune response in the body, essentially. So IgG is more of a slow response. So it's like an intolerance and IgA is like a uh, allergy, essentially. So it's like a celiac disease is an IgA response, uh, where an IgG is more like a gluten intolerance. Low grade. Low grade. And there's severity, like it's a spectrum, right? So um, it just means that that response in the IgA is instant, more so, uh, where it's just slower in the IgG. So went through that testing, tested about 184 different foods, something like that, and um, identified where my intolerance is stat. and identified, yeah, just a number of intolerances that I needed to kind of address. And keeping in mind, you know, the this testing is not foolproof. Um, if you're eating, if you're not eating the food, you're not going to get a response to it because you're not eating the food. So there is there's nuance to it. So it's really important to be interpreted correctly.
0: Mm. Um, it's also not forever. And it's either. not forever.
1: Yeah, because I've shifted that since. So like I had removed majority of my intolerances um, and I'm in a lot better place now where I can generally eat more than I Like what I want to eat uh, for the most part. Like, for example, you know, I couldn't eat any peanuts. Now I can eat peanuts. Um, So, like, you can shift that. It's not your fate. Mm -hmm. And then I also did GI testing. So, looking at my gut, identifying that I had uh, Candida at the time. So, I had to clear out my Candida because essentially my body was craving sugar. Mm And just because Candida
0: feeds on sugar. Feeds on sugar. So, Yeah. yeah, I had
1: to remove the sugar from my diet to allow that to pretty much die off. Mm. Um,
0: and I'm going to add here that the bacteria in your gut are not living in a silo. No. They release their own molecules and about a third of all the small molecules tracing around your body right now are not even made by you. They're made by the bacteria and viruses in your gut. Mm. And so with something like candida, it wants sugar, it mm. craves sugar. That's how it survives. And so it will excrete chemicals mm. that travel to your brain that influence your craving. Yep. So, again, this is stuff that, like, you would never know that if you mm. have the wrong type of mi- gut microbiota that it will, it will be parasitic in the fact that it'll tell your brain what it wants yeah. and you'll go do it.
1: Yeah, and on top of that, I had a whole bunch of gut dysbiosis because, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, like anti-inflammatories, mm. uh, painkillers, um, antibiotics, they were a part of my life up to that point. Like, I was living on those things for the most part because I was sick and unhealthy and pushing through things I shouldn't be pushing through. Mm. So, you know, that just decimated all my good gut bacteria. So I had a lot of dysbiosis, had candida as a result because you know, it's not a good environment um for the gut. So
0: dysbiosis means imbalance. Yeah, imbalance, yeah. yeah.
1: So Im- Im- imbalance between good and bad bad bacteria, as simply speaking.
0: Yes that's so hy hypersimplified again. Yeah. But yeah.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, so it was really important to get the gut house sorted to kind of because you know that oh some metabolism stresses, um, yeah. So from a metabolism stress standpoint, it was really important to get that gut sorted and understanding what works for me. So testing was really powerful for that. Like I said, you can do it from observation um, if you can be really good at delineating and doing elimination diet is another way mm. in which you can do, it, which is free. Um, it's very time intensive. And I think even with doing an elimination diet, I still would have struggled to find what was wrong for me because I had such a spectrum of things. Mm. Um, So I was grateful I went down the route I did do. Um, But you can play around with elimination diet. You know, it's the cheap and easy way to do it. It just will take longer um, Mm. to identify. And it's, you know, as an A type, I want Dana
0: we've got no time to yeah. mess around yeah. you know at this point in time you kind of get to a point in your life yeah. where it's like time is so incredibly valuable mm. that if you can get or eliminate as much of the guesswork as you possibly can with the latest in clinical diagnostics which are you know they're not inconsequential in an investment perspective but how they actually impact you in your body for a long period of time is actually profound
1: yeah hundred percent like yes expensive but when you actually weigh that cost up against your health, mm. like I often talk about this, you know, if you had a leaky house, you'd be forced to fix that, right? Mm. And you would spend, what, depending on the house, 20 grand plus, I don't know. Um, but if you had a leaky gut, why would you not spend that and more on it? Because a house you can replace body you get one
0: well that's your house like yeah. literally yeah. that is the only house you will own that will stay with you until the grave
1: yep and the long the sooner you sort that out the longer you live mm. a healthier more fulfilled life yeah um and it's it's a priority thing for most people right like for me i've always prioritized my house so for me it's a no-brainer um yeah and people often say you know i don't have time or i don't have money and so mm. you know it's a priority set um,
0: there's also so okay i'm gonna raise something that i'm sure we're gonna get kicked back for mm. But you see, in a lot of these herbal or other naturopath shops around, hair testing for for um, allergies or food sensitivities. I, I'm of of two minds here. Firstly, I get that science science takes time to catch up to things we don't yet know or understand. So, so maybe in the future, hair testing using the methodologies they use, which is usually largely um, uh, they'll, they'll do some type of charge or current shift between the, the hair, so they'll put the hair between two charged diodes and then have some type of extract of a food or, or some such and then check how the charge transfers through the hair. So some places do that. Other places do more of a energy, so there might be some other type of energy measure when it's near a specific type of food type. But, you know, my master's was in hair testing. I struggle immensely with understanding the validity of those tests. Mm. So, you know, they 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 preach that this is a highly valid way of checking food sensitivity, but I struggle with whether or not it's worth your time and money. And so for those who are genuinely interested in actual doing food sensitivity, I highly recommend blood spot Mm. analysis. I might be wrong in the future. Maybe there is a lot of scientific evidence to suggest the other way is right. But I, yeah. but based on my, my background research and my credentials, blood spot analysis is really the most accurate and, you know, way to assess what's going on from an immunoglobulin reaction perspective. And that can be far more accurate around what you can and cannot eat to try to desensitize your immune system. Uh, and then it's also way more quantified. So, uh, with the testing that we do, which looks at uh, a lots of different subgroups of a specific type of food. So is it egg yolk or is it egg white? So we, we get to that detail and it also tells you or measures the extent of reaction. So is it a zero for no, is it a, a class one, class two, class three, class three being the most um, aggressive immune response and then grading down. And so it gives us a feel for a quantified measure of immune response, which in my opinion is far more valid and helpful to, you know, navigate the nutritional and metabolism response and stress that you can try to alleviate.
1: Yeah, I remember um, one client came to me in the last year telling me that his um, hair testing told me he had ovaries. <laughs> 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 and I saw the results and it was it was hilarious. Like it like there's no personalization in that at all, right? Like to say a male has ovary issues. I can't remember the the exact thing, but it was pretty much stating that he had um, ovaries in some capacity and there was some dysfunction with his ovaries. And well, <laughs> mm. So, but again, happy to be proven wrong and happy to have an academic conversation with anybody. Um, so anybody that has great evidence that they want to present to us, like we're very pragmatic in our view and we're keen to be proven wrong and um, change our beliefs around this. Um, so uh, mm. if anyone listening is keen to share some evidence that we haven't seen yet um, because there's a lot out there right like there's mm. there's a lot to kind of feed through and um but from the research that we've done we've been we're still scratching our heads to how this is valid yes it's cheap and
0: well it's uh, still a hundred dollars but it's, it's
1: cheaper than doing an igg right like it's true so and it's quick and easy and so i, I can understand why they're doing it maybe it's you know, it's creating behavioural change and getting people down that path. But
0: yeah, because they're exploring elimination, which, which you know, I totally get that. That from a theatrical perspective, yeah. almost, it's giving you enough evidence to think, oh, that I can put more weight on removing this from my diet. Yeah, and and experimenting is something that we we deeply support in mm. a safe mechanism. So we we encourage. Bio-literacy, bio literacy, you bio know, experimentation. So let's see what this what mm-hmm. happens when you eliminate this particular food group, or let's see if you explore a different type of meditation. So all about the experimentation mm-hmm. in a safe environment.
1: hundred oh, percent. And but yeah, so uh, like yeah, I think that's an upset that. on that.
0: Upset on that. All right. Now, when we're thinking about stress, we've been, we've been providing a bit of an overview of what kind of stresses there are. Uh, we've we've provided some sort of key tool kit items that they can use and pull what else have you learned over the last couple of decades in this space where if they just did the one thing the one thing to help with their stress to give them multiplying factors to helping to alleviate to help reduce what would that be
1: i think it comes back to being the observer right creating the disruption point where you can sit back And bring yourself to a present state and observe. Whichever method you pull upon, whatever part of the toolbox you grab, um, just having those disruption points. Whether that is meditation, whether that is breath work, whether that is forest bathing, um, whatever you choose. Because everything we described here is free, which is brilliant, right? Like doesn't cost a thing to disrupt it. Um, so there should be no issues with that.
0: Well, at least the entry points. We've got a couple yeah. of apps and things like that, but, yeah, but there's a lot for free. But even Sam Harris,
1: like, you can get that for free.
0: Yeah. If um, you're financially struggling, yeah. he does actually give scholarships, I think, if you yeah. apply to have the app completely for free. Yes.
1: Cause he doesn't want the cost of an app to be the point to stop you from meditating. So, um, yeah, so even in that regard. So technically, all the stuff would, well, besides Newcom, um, I think everything we yeah. described is free. And I, like, So if I was to say the one thing is create a disruption point and find what works best for you um, and try to build upon these things, you know, as we always say, there's one thing, right? So pick one key disruption point that you can do every, anytime you start to feel that anxiety, that depression, um, that agitability, like, you know, that Mm. kind of building up of energy where you're kind of like frustrated or irritable. Think about what is that one thing you could do to disrupt that. So,
0: yeah, I would agree. So, yeah. if you were to, I think we talked about how we'd finish these podcasts is like we'd each ask the other what out of all of this, mm. what did they feel is most powerful or the one thing that, that you'd hold them accountable? And I think for this particular situation, I would 100% agree with you here yep. because you cannot change what you don't even know to observe. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, like if you can't even tell that you're stressed. Or you can't even tell that you're triggered, then you you can't intervene. Yep. You just simply can't. And so, I think the more we can try to encourage people to simply observe themselves and their response, just that one thing would change the trajectory of human race. To be honest, yep. because if we're just more observant of that and the triggers and the trauma or the the background habits that we have, we would normally that routine that subroutine or that program would normally initiate, stopping the program. And saying, is this the program I want to run in this little computation of our brain and our body and our lives? By doing that and providing that halt point, and being the observer and reflecting in a more sentient way, that's how you change the course of the entire human race. Yeah. And that's powerful.
1: And even to take a step into that and from a relationship standpoint as well, right, if you're kind of getting into those discussions or arguments that start to get quite aggressive and attacking that's a sign that there's a communication breakdown and you're no longer being an observer. You're caught up in the emotion. So, you know, we, we never really get into heated arguments or discussions because before we get to that point, we've identified that, you know, this is not healthy. We need to, you know, do what's right um, by creating a, a space. Um, so I know for you, you want to be heard. Uh, so making sure that you're heard, giving you that space to kind of just be and feel into what is going on. And then you know not because my my go-to is to kind of reframe bring in the positive and Fix
0: things. and talk
1: logical and which uh, I love eventually, yeah,' which you do so like I, I I've learned that you know for you, the disruption point is not there, so we just need to kind of allow you just to be and to let it out and not judge and not um, put anything onto you and um, give you that space. And then eventually I can, you know, come in and be my co- the coach that I am, right? Because that's essentially my being is I want to help you be the best person you can be. So I'm naturally going to want to coach and help support you in that. And
0: I'm right back at you. And yeah. I think that I struggle with the same thing where I need to sit back and, and be quiet and let you speak. Even though what you say is triggering the crap out of me mm. sometimes and I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yep. I have to hold space that that's where you're at. That's your yep. truth. That's yep. the important part and you want to be heard too. Yep. And so I, I think trying to stop that emotional cascade, that emotional programming is so hard depending yep. on how ingrained it is. But the more you can, again, find calm, find a place of presence, um, come from a place of love and um, acceptance of each other's journey and in the place you are in the space of stress too. like we, we have a number don't we so yeah. when we're stressed we actually ask each other what is your number mm. and it's usually out it's out of a hundred so it's a percentage where are you at yeah. and then in an ideal world we'll, we would both be 50 50 we would be you know additive together to make up 100% of what we need to do in a day but sometimes you're 20 yeah. and I have to either be 80 or if I'm also 20 and, and we're both struggling then in that case we look at like maybe we order some takeout or maybe we you know we actually find ways to alleviate both of our pressures on ourselves to get ourselves back up to at least 50 or higher
1: and being considerate and kind knowing that the tension is going to be high so it's easy to be triggered yeah. so just understanding that okay we need to be very careful with each other and I think having the aura data as well is really helpful for that because you we can also take that step back and when we wake up in the morning you know my readiness is like a 56 mm. and like for me that's horrendous like and I, I need to be kind to myself today um so that's in more an objective number as well so you know we kind of marry the objective with the subjective and that so it's you know my, you you know my um retina scores of 56 and you know i did the podcast this morning i went and saw clients you know my my um bubble is full it's about to burst right so i'm sitting there at like 15 20 percent and then you know it's th- those conversations and i think the more you can bring the objective with the subjective mm. data um
0: so helpful as a partner
1: as a partner it's just yeah it just creates that communication point, right? So it's just clear and um, you understand where I'm coming from and why I'm coming from that because you just see my metrics just...
0: Mm. (laughs) I think I'm going to say something. I think that's helpful also with the whole Man flu. Okay. So I'm just (laughs) going to bring that up. So all the women listeners right now will understand what it's like when men say they're sick and they end up just being complete invalids. Because we just have no clue how bad they're feeling. For one, we're not in their shoes. Mm. Um, there's always like, oh, well, you haven't had a baby come out, so you don't, you don't know pain or discomfort. There's kind of this unfair, um, there's no comeback to that. No, there's really no comeback (laughs) to it. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I think that depending on the person you are, And how much you catastrophize feeling sick mm. or literally you're feeling rotten, right? Mm. But you've got no metric to share mm. how bad you're feeling. This is where I find wearables so powerful mm. because I can get it. Mm. I can see that your metrics are just terrible. Mm. And and that means I can be way more kind and honorable in how mm. I engage with you because yeah. it's not just, oh, you have a man flu, you're being... Yeah because I know that you're not because your pain threshold is through the darn roof. So I know when you're in pain, you're in pain. Mm. But for others who perhaps have dynamics in their relationships that you know. Because
1: <laughs> it's all subjective They're, at that point, right? Exactly. Yeah.
0: It, you know, having some type of wearable to con, to talk about as a relationship or a partnership from a stress management and a, and a relationship management perspective is so powerful. So not mm-hmm. only as an individual understanding your own stress and what's going on in your life and how to manage it, but also within your partnerships and your relationships. Yep,
1: absolutely. And the, the one thing I want to say to kind of come full circle as well, because at the start I talked about hormetic stress, right? Um, so, that process of good stress. So there's a number of things we can do, but it's understanding that stress is accumulative, right? The more that we layer on the system, the, the more that is going to be stress on the system. So one thing that we've had to learn is, you know, there's a number of good stresses and things that are inherently good for us. Ice, ice baths, um, saunas, uh, exercise. Um, you know, there's really, uh, there's, there's a whole host of things you can do that we know to be good for us. But in excess, you gotta be very careful. So for example, saunas, we, we have a sauna at home um, that we use, but we use it quite infrequently over especially over COVID period, right? Yeah. Because we were just so tapped out physically, mentally, like we were just, you know, trying to keep our business afloat and you know, doing everything we could to support our team and um, support our
0: community, support community yeah.
1: our kids at home. Um, we were just burnt out, tapped out just we learned that you know saunas was just tipping us over the edge mm. um so although generally speaking it's a hormatic stress it's a good stress it's a we, we want to shift our body is like you know getting away from the ac environment going to that hot extreme and then going to a cold immersion going to that cold extreme it was just too much physiological stress for our body so we actually had to can that because we just saw our metrics are starting to tank the more Mm. we did saunas and then when we stopped that we are able to regain that back so it's it's understanding that even a good stress can be a bad stress and um when there's so much accumulation so understanding across all four categories mental and emotional lifestyle metabolism and environmental stresses where you're at so therefore you know okay i'm in a good space today i can have a sauna And this is gonna, I'm gonna be able to grow stronger from this. It's not going to put me into the ground, Um, or I can have a nice bath. Or um, Mm. so it's understanding those. But and and if you do have a space to be able to enjoy these hormetic stresses, because you've got the other stresses under control, these are ridiculously powerful devices. Because as I said, you know, you're in an AC environment. You can get heat if you can get cold. uh, That is going to have a profound effect on your health, your immune system, um, your performance. So ice bath in the morning is a great way to start the day because it just gives you a straight kick of oxygen to that brain, which is super powerful. And it's gonna just have you ignited and ready to take on the day in a really healthy space.
0: It's great for your immune system. There's a whole bunch of biochemical processes that are actually just supercharged by that type of hormetic stress.
1: Yeah, so if you really want to understand them, looking at cold shock proteins, um, phenomenal. Like, no better better way to kind of uh, su- weight management, like supercharge weight loss, you know, because mm. you're getting an increase of brown adipose tissue, which is brown fat tissue, which sounds bad initially speaking, but it's that's the good fat you want, that's the readily available fat that you can burn, not the kind of visceral fat that kind of sits around your organs and, um, yeah, you're going to feel amazing, you're going to have energy, you're going to be ready to just take on that day, and amazing from an anxiety, depression standpoint, just puts you in that really great mental space.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we'll have to go into more detail around ice baths generally, or what that means, because you see it a lot on Facebook, on Instagram, and I think a lot of people wonder, like, what's the deal? What's so great about these ice baths? Yeah. So I think that'll be good to actually dig deeper into so people actually understand what it all means.
1: I think into all the hormetic stresses, again, I think there's going to be a podcast on talking about hormetic stresses in general. So mm. the good stresses because understanding sworn protocols, understanding ice bath protocols, understanding, um, you know, how to train in a performance based way um, or just even a longevity based way, you know, mm. so understanding that line of performance, you know, as we talk about it. So I think in inside that line of performance episode, um, yeah. we'll also encapsulate yeah. the about stress there's that.
0: also a great graph that you showed me a couple of years ago around how stress works as a compounding element to those categories I'll put it up on the, on the screen but also in the show notes and I know we're going to talk about that more mm. when we get into burnout yeah. which is going to come up in our one of our episodes so Thank you so much for engaging with me on this conversation. So many things we could have covered, but just trying to, in the, in the interests of being expedient, being helpful, providing practical tools, um, to help people lead a path, um, that is towards vibrant health and wellbeing. Um, it's been really great to be able to summarize these things with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. As our podcast progresses, we'll keep digging deeper into powerful themes of health and wellness including client case studies and how we've used advanced science and not so common sense to help them live a life more extraordinary. If you feel this information has been helpful, please like, share, follow and subscribe to get notified of new episode drops and to support our mission to make the path to vibrant well-being less lonely and confusing.